it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. I'm Dave Ahern, and I have Andrew Sather with me tonight. Tonight, we're going to talk about six unconventional investing principles. This is something Andrew came up with, and I think this will be very interesting. So without any further ado, I'm going to have Andrew start us off, and we're going to chat a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. So again, I'm going to talk about some principles. I think there's some good mindset stuff in here, and it's not really anything I've seen um, talked about in books or online or anything like that. It's just some stuff that came to me kind of trying to look from like a mastery perspective and how are some things and some experiences I've seen and how can we kind of draw that in together and kind of organize it into some useful tips. So for number one, let go of the results. So I think this is a mindset trap where you see a lot of beginners particularly get into this where you know, everybody's so results focused. Everybody wants to buy a stock and have it double in a year. They want to get in on the, you know, the next AMD, the next Amazon. They, they want to just have money and make that money work. Uh, not work, but make that money grow very quickly and be able to realize those profits very quickly. And, you know, it makes, makes people feel like they're experts, makes people, Obviously, you get richer and it it becomes such a focus where you're deceiving yourself into thinking you're becoming a better investor because you're getting these short-term results. But over the long term, they could be unsustainable results. They could be actually negatively affecting you in the long term, especially if you're getting into stocks that are very expensive and you may be at the tail end of like a bubble curve, for example. So you could be getting some short-term nice gains only to see it crash right at the tip of a, a bear market or a market crash. So I think having this mindset where you really let go of the results, focus on the things you can control. And I, I like to do this a lot too. And I talk about it in the e-leather all the time. You know, I'll have months that are really spectacular and I'll see these performance numbers that really make 
makes my ego feel great and makes me feel like the portfolio is really moving in a direction I want to see it go. But you have to really take it with a grain of salt and you have to understand that if you're going to have a level head and if you you need to have a level head when there are bear markets and turbulence and we've talked about this all before and you can hear about it time and time again if you're going to have any sort of success in the market it's going to come because you're holding for the long term you're riding out the the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs of the market and you're really just letting you know when the bear market comes you're going to ride the recovery and when the bull cruises along you're going to ride it all the way up as well so when you have a mindset where you don't care too much about the results, you can kind of be free to have this level head and to to be stoic in both victory and defeat. So if you have periods where you're underperforming, and you know, we've talked about Warren Buffett has had periods of underperforming, Seth Klarman's had periods periods of underperforming, I've had periods of underperforming. Understanding that those can be some short term setbacks and you decide with your own mindset how you want to perceive that and if you want to let that negatively affect you emotionally or not. And it works on the flip side when you are really doing great and you're really crushing it and your stocks are really, for some reason, you're on a hot streak and all these stocks just keep cruising up. You got to stay humble and you got to stay stoic and understand that just because there's a bunch of green in the portfolio today doesn't mean that's going to be the same way two, three years from now. So focus instead on making the right decisions and not so much on where the stocks go because every single day stocks are going to move up and down and they're going to kind of do what they do and and you're going to have sectors that get hot and you're going to have individual stocks that get hot and even the whole market will get hot and then you know the next day it could be cold. So keep those things in mind and really just don't put too much weight in it. That way you can focus your energy on the things that are important, which are making prudent decisions for the long term. And you're focusing on controlling the right things, like which stocks you're going to buy, how long you're going to hold them, rather than the things that don't really matter, like is stock A going to outperform earnings estimates? So I think letting go of the results, focusing on what's really important can really help you go a long way as you try to select stocks. Yeah, I really like the way you put that about the stoic uh, mindset, you know, the taking the emotion out of the investing part of it, I think it's so critical and crucial. People get emotional and, you know, you see this on a day-to-day basis. You know, Drew was talking about the earnings reports, you know, there's a, there's an earnings season every quarter that you know the market goes through where people are looking very very closely at how AMD did for the quarter and they'll base you know their decision on that you know short term 3 month time period and whether they want to keep the stock and whether they want to buy more or they want to sell out of it just based on that short term and it's really it really comes down to the emotional part of it as opposed to the fundamentals that Andrew and I preach and i think that's so critical and crucial to having you know a sanity about what we're trying to do you know there's so much emotion and ups and downs in the market and you know if you watch you know company a for any period of time you're going to see the stock price of that move in and out 
up and down sometimes even in a day you could see it go up a dollar down a dollar even in the same day and you you often wonder i know i do why you know what's what's driving this is there some news that happened that i'm not aware of and i've had this to happen to me even just recently where i was looking at a stock in particular that i bought and i hadn't really paid much attention to it in a few days and i noticed that it dropped a couple percents and i thought to myself well, i wonder why what 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 drove that? And so I remember looking, you know, on their website, going to a couple other, you know, stock news sites, trying to find information about the company to see if there was something that I had missed, you know, that there was some bad news that had come out that maybe could affect the company. And there was nothing. It was just based solely on, you know, somebody, you know, a hedge fund or a large, you know, mutual fund decided to get out of the company. And so everybody started bailing. And it's just based on emotion, no, no hard and you know concrete facts. And what Andrew was talking about is so you know appropriate and so important to being a good value investor is taking the emotion out of it. And when you think about Charlie Munger and you think about Warren Buffett, they are very unemotional when it comes to this kind of stuff. And as a matter of fact, you know Charlie Munger is very, very involved in the whole behavioral finance, you know. Uh, or arena that has kind of evolved in the last probably five to ten years. Uh, there's been quite a a lot of work that's come out, or you know, behavioral psychologists look at how people behave and their thought processes and what causes them to make their decisions. And uh, Charlie Munger has a kind of a term that he calls, and now of course I'm going to blank on the term. Oh gosh, what is it? Oh no. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's it. Uh, lattice work of mental models, and I'm, I'm not going to go into the the whole details of it because that would that would be a whole podcast in and of itself. But the basic gist of it is is that you know we we make a lot of decisions based on our emotions, and our emotions are based on you know models that we have of how we think about different aspects of our life and different aspects of decisions that we make. And it's a very, very fascinating delve into the psychology of why we do what we do. And it's just, it's a fascinating thing, but you know, I really like what Andrew was talking about with this, this point. Yeah. And I like how you mentioned not only as an investor, do we need to be unemotional, but the emotions that surround the stock itself and the ones that you'll see in the market and all the, pessimism and optimism that goes along when you go on the media and when you look at just basic analysis that companies and analysts are, are pumping out that is going to be very emotional and you need to not only control your own emotions but not be phased by the emotions of the market i think that perfectly goes along with focusing on the right things and not getting too caught up in results so for number two investing uh unconventional investing principle don't sign up for deals structured against you. So I think this is something that you could see all the time and not just in investing, but throughout life, there's basically, you know, you can be spinning your wheels, trying to get something to work for you. But if you're, if you're in the wrong hamster wheel, it's just, you're, 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 you're expending all this energy and really setting yourself up for failure instead of setting your, yourself up for success. And it's not your fault in the sense that it's not because you're not trying too hard or you're not trying hard enough, but because you are signing up for these deals that naturally work against you. So we've had examples of this in the past. If you go back to one of our early episodes where we talk about 
things the financial industry doesn't want to tell you or doesn't want to admit. So we talk about things like hedge funds, mutual funds, the management fees and how those are just really expensive and, and they're really charging you. And for number one, the service you don't need. And number two, for activity that can actually make your portfolio perform at a worse level than if you just let it stay. So I think funds, actively managed funds is a great example of a deal that's really structured against you. Another one would be shorting. You try to short a stock and you're, what you're doing is you're flipping everything. Instead of going long on the stock, you're going to buy it, you're going to hold it, you're owning part of the company, you're going to hope the company grows and you're going to hope those profits turn into your stock price growing over time. When you flip that, you are betting the short. You are betting that the stock price is actually going to go down. You are pessimistic on the company. And what you're also doing, which can be lost by a lot of these investors slash traders who, you know, bless their hearts, they jump in and, and they get all excited about all these different things and all the, the, the technicals and the, the opportunities and you get caught up in the game without, you know, and you just lose the big picture by doing this. But if you think about buying a stock, say I want to buy, I want to spend a hundred bucks. I want to invest it into Apple, let's say. Worst case scenario, I buy a hundred shares of Apple and they go bankrupt. I lost my hundred dollars. Best case scenario is really the sky is the limit. The stock could go up and you know, we've seen that we see this every year. There's always, if not every year, every decade, there always seems to be a new company that has a, a new market cap and you always hear of the S and P hitting record numbers. We have this thing that's a stock market and it represents the business world and it's really limitless in how much it can expand and grow and create capital and profit and Really, I mean, there's no way to predict really how high a stock you buy can go. And, and like I said, the, the, the possibilities are limitless. Now, if you flip that around and you short a stock instead of buying it, the most you can gain on a short is actually 100%. And if, if you want to capitalize on, a, on a, like the stock falling further, you, you'd have to open another short position and kind of compound it in that way. When you're betting against the stock... Because the stock price could increase infinitely, now you're, instead of your upside being infinite, your downside's infinite. So, you know, if you're a beginner, you might not know how, op, you know, uh, shorting really works, but the basic premise is you have to put down collateral because in the case that the stock shoots up, the broker needs to be able to cover that, that difference. And so you, you got to put collateral down and you also have to basically have a leverage account so that they can draw money away from in in the case that the stock shoots up they'll be able to debit you the money and you know you owe them the money and and you'll have to pay it so you can have a thing called a margin call where if the stock shoots up by a certain amount and you're in the hole a bunch of money you have to come up with that collateral up front just to keep the position open or else they're going to see that okay well you don't have enough capital to continue the trade and, and, you know, and it closes out and you can't stay in that short position any longer. So as you can see, even though, you know, it's a 50, 50 game in the sense that a stock could go up or down in any given day, but 
by trying to always guess the losers instead of the winners, you're now entering into a game plan person, you know, as a way to put it, that is really kind of structured against you because you flip the risk reward paradigm. And number two, the longer you're in that trade, the more you lose because the longer I'm in a, a regular long position, every three months I'm collecting a dividend payment. When you're in a short, now you're paying out those dividend payments because you're, you're the opposite of a, a long position. So that's just another factor of really these type of trades are not, if you look from a big picture and you really understand, okay, you know, Sure, I could maybe make a bunch of money doing this in the short term. Sure, you know, I, I could maybe be right a, a little bit more than I'm wrong. But at the end of the day, why put yourself into deals that are really designed against you? And it's not putting you in the most beneficial potential for really having success. And so I think you can really give yourself an advantage by understanding these bigger picture kind of situations that you can go in and out of and it can really help your performance in a very big way because when it comes to financial advice you got to trust the source it's why you listen to this podcast when i'm looking to upgrade my wallet i turn to nerd wallet their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products before nerd wallet I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd Wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Half half of the battles is really just being at the right spot at the right time. And if you're jumping into deals, quote-unquote, that are structured against you or that the probabilities are that you will lose more in the long, you know, we're talking five years, 10 years, decades. If you're really looking at that long of a time period, sure. You could maybe do better in a couple of years, but over that long of a time period, you really want the odds in your favor. And I think certain structures like funds, mutual funds, hedge funds, trying to go short on the stock and even some options are really not structured to make you rich as much as they are structured to make other people rich. So try to stay away from those things. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want a really good illustration of kind of how the whole shorting thing works, watch the movie, the big short. It's really, really sets up exactly kind of how this whole process works. And there's several storylines where they talk you know, very vividly and in detail about how a short works and how much money it really costs. And, you know, in Michael Burry's case, it was millions, millions and millions and millions of dollars that he was spending every month to short, you know, the stock or the, the mortgage. Um, and almost it bankrupted just, it was, him. It almost bankrupted yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. he was right. Yeah. He was right, too. Yeah, he was, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's just, it's such, you know, he was a brilliant man, but, you know, it was such a risk. And it was just a huge gamble on his part. He was right. He was proved right. But he very well easily could have been proven wrong. And you know, like Andrews could have gone bankrupt. So I think, you know, to me, I think that is the best illustration of what Andrew was talking about. Another great illustration would be the short that uh, Bill Ackman has on Herbalife. And that's been going on for years. And I, I can't even imagine how much money that's been costing him in that, you know, short position. So, you know, what Andrew was saying is, is so, you know, accurate. It's, it's a great principle to, to keep thinking about investing. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. You know what's funny about Ackman is he could be right in five years and still lose money on the trade. Exactly. I don't know. Yep, exactly. And that's just because of the way it's structured. Mm-hmm. Yep. So next one, I'll try to, <laughs> try to be a little more concise on this one. I apologize. Uh, number three, always build your power. And we've talked we've talked about this before, but I think if you want to try to pick stocks for yourself and try to really beat the market by buying stocks that are undervalued, getting in buy low situations. You have to always be just feeding yourself with knowledge and getting ideas and, and trying to, while you might have like foundations, trying to have your, your mindset and your strategy evolve over time and grow and become better. So the ways that we like to recommend that people do this, obviously read books. If you're listening to this podcast, I think that's a fantastic way to, to be building your power day by day. Other, you know, there's other resources. Some people really like investing newsletters. Some people like blogs. Uh, there, there's a ton of ways you could go. And I think it's really important that I'm not saying you have to be 
you know, plugged in every day or anything like that. But I think over time, if, if you want to give yourself the best chance at keeping a level head, having confidence and really being able to get the best results over the very long term, I really think you need to be building your skill set as you go along. And, you know, definitely there, there's, there's like a, it, it would be, I guess, you know, working out. I don't know why. Obviously, everybody loves to use the working out analogy when it comes to money. And it's because it, there's a lot of parallels. So, you know, when you work out, obviously, when you're first beginning, it's, it's really, you see quick gains is what they call them. You really get like linear growth and, and it really, really explodes and, and you could put in not as much time and really see great results. But, you know, the difference between somebody who's kind of, in the middle and somebody who's an expert, there's still a big difference there because the experts really still putting in the time and the time and the time. And so my point with that is that we've talked before and I I like to mention this on my blog a lot that even like an advantage of 1% outperformance, it sounds minuscule, but when you add compounding interest and you get that 1% and it's adding an extra 1% the next year and then, and then that's adding another and, and it just grows over time. Like go to Google right now if you don't believe me. Google a compound interest calculator and look at the differences between 10% a year, 11, 12, 13, 14 and it like exponentially explodes with each little 1% outperformance that you get. So this is one of those things where you could really find the mastery and that extra oomph is really going to reward you in, in really great ways. And don't expect that you can find that extra outperformance if you're not really building your knowledge and your skill set every single day. I mean, sorry, just over time and, and really instead of letting that deteriorate, really staying on top of it and trying to essentially become better and just trying to get better over the long term and and trying to mature as your portfolio matures as well yeah exactly you know i think the easiest way for me to to think about that is is knowledge is power the more you know the better you can do and like andrew was saying you know i think the the analogy of the weightlifting although i must be doing something seriously wrong because i don't see any linear growth <laughs> but that's probably a whole another conversation but uh, you know you know, I, the more you know, the better you can do. And you just think about anything that you do in your life, whether it's exercising, whether it's reading, whether it's at work, you know, the more that you know, the better you can do at your job. And you think about, you know, I, I think about when I first started working in the banking world, you know, I knew nothing about it. And it was so overwhelming. And as I, the longer I worked there, the more knowledge that I grew, you know, gathered about what I was doing, I became a lot more confident. I became, you know, much more secure in what I was doing. And I felt much more at ease talking to the customers about what my recommendations were and why I thought it was. And it's just because, you know, as Andrew was saying, I, I was there longer. I was, you know, I had over time, I just learned what to do and how to do it. And, the same thing applies with investing. You know, as you gather your knowledge, as you build your blocks, you know, you're going to get better at it. You're going to get more comfortable at it. You're going to learn, you know, how to do what you're doing. And, you know, think about, 
when you first started to buy your first stock and how terrified you were and how nervous you were. And, you know, as you get more comfortable doing it, you know, those fears go away because now you've been through the, the, the game, you understand how it works and you can build upon that. And I think, you know, just remembering that knowledge is power. And, you know, like Andrew said, you don't have to do it every single day. You know, if you're, you know, a geek like me and you like to do that kind of stuff, then, you know, more power to you. But if it's, you know, not as, you know, <clears throat> interesting to you, but if you want to do it, then, you know, find a blog you want to do, listen to the podcast, listen to, you know, watch TV, you know, read, you know, reading is, is, is key. You know, as you read, the more, the more you learn, the better you're going to do at it. And again, I keep coming back to it, but knowledge is power. Yep. 100%. All you got to do is look at guys like Warren Buffett he's still doing that at a much greater scale than personally I am. And I'm sure a lot of people as well. He's yeah. just a voracious reader. Principle number four had to add this one in there because without this principle, all the other ones go moot, but this one's pretty obvious. Don't rely on one stock. You know, obviously you hear the whole diversification thing being always talked about throughout finance. And you know, they talk about not wanting to put all your eggs in one basket, but if you think about not the loss side, but also the win side, you also don't want to rely on all your gains coming from one stock and when i talk about the gains i'm really trying to think from a very very long-term perspective because everybody's goals are different but i know for me personally when i hit that financial freedom point or you know spot where i'm really able to start living off of the dividend income that i'm receiving from my portfolio that ideal portfolio will have several positions that are, that have grown over time. You know, they've been paying dividends all along. Those dividends are growing. I'm collecting shares. So you're seeing like an income and it's almost like having a job. And you know, it's like if you have five fantastic stocks that are really providing substantial dividend income, you can reasonably feel safe and not working and just relying on those checks to come in because it's like, okay, well, even if one business all of a sudden out of nowhere and, you know, it happens all the time in the business world where a company can just run into big troubles and they'll have to cut the dividend. If you have a reliance on multiple stocks instead of just one, then your, your dividend checks are essentially safe because your dividend checks are generally safe because you're not relying on any single one to keep you going. And so you don't have to sell any stock. You don't have to draw out of your portfolio. You can just let time do its thing, continue to either reinvest or spend those dividends. And really, I think a, a much stronger portfolio is one with a bunch of really strong dividend pairs rather than just one or two really nice positions that is feeding you income. Yep, I totally agree. You know, you you think about some of the people that we talk a lot about and that we look up to and we admire. You know, they all have anywhere from six to twenty or more positions, and they do that for a reason. They do that because they found other good ideas that will generate income for them, and it also helps hedge against a bad choice. You know, or a company that for whatever reason goes south. And 
thinking about Manish Parai, one of the guys that I really like to read his work and his writings. He's a very intelligent guy. He's a great writer. And he, he's, he's one of those people that is so smart that he can explain things that are complicated and make them sound easy. And it's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, he talks a lot about his positions and he doesn't have a lot. I think the last time I looked at his portfolio, I believe he had six or seven positions, which is not a lot, but he did have a company recently that went belly up. It ended up declaring bankruptcy and at, for a while it was making him some serious great returns, but management made some very, very, very poor choices and they ended up going bankrupt. And because he had other positions and he didn't have his whole life savings, so to speak, sunk into that one particular company. It, it hurt him, but it didn't hurt him that bad. And, you know, I, I think that to me was a really great, you know, real life illustration of this is why you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, I know there's a gentleman in Brazil. I can't remember his name that he owned a company and he was at one point, one of the richest men in the world, literally, but his company went bankrupt and he lost everything. And I think he went from uh, $350 billion worth to, you know, living on the street. And, you know, that's the peril of getting into one position. And that's, you know, where all your money is going to come from. Yeah, you really lose a lot of power when you're all tied up. So exactly. the next principle really kind of try to take a contrarian approach. So basically don't take pessimism too seriously. And when I talk about pessimism, I'm really talking about pessimism that can surround the stock. So if you want to try to be a value investor, you want to be somebody who's bargain shopping, somebody who can number one, figure out what the intrinsic value of a stock is. And number two, find stocks that are basically trading at a discount to the intrinsic value, picking those up and, either getting the profits from that 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 value difference or holding on and, and seeing those profits grow over time. You want to be that kind of investor, you're going to have to go against the crowd and you're going to have to face pessimism. And honestly, you just have to laugh in its face and understand that it's ridiculous. And even though the crowd might be saying, you're the idiot, understanding that it's really the pessimism and that the numbers and the logic behind what's really going on is over the long term at the end of the day is really going to be justified more so than what the short term emotions are. So it kind of goes back to the stoic thing, but you really have to be able to tackle pessimism head on. I remember a company like BP when it had the oil spill stock absolutely plummeted. I know earnings took a hit for a while, but there were value investors who went in there and, and swept up some shares and and did well and i don't know how the stock has done lately but there's examples like that all the time where stocks really get beat up and they get the scarlet leather on on cnbc and in the media but there are other investors who are understanding that okay yeah there might be a short-term little hiccup here but we have a strong business model we have cash flow over the long term and in general, it doesn't seem to be in an industry that's shrinking. Those are the type of opportunities you're going to want to jump on. And 
you know, we, we've talked about Corning before. That's another great example of a stock that was really looked down on because it had just gone sideways for so many years. And sure enough, at that low price, it was at such a low price and it was really trading, you know, depending on how you want to make the intrinsic value calculation, either you could say it was trading below that, near that, whatever. There's just no way that over the very long term, it was going to trade at that range for very long unless the company really went belly up. Sure enough, it didn't go belly up. The company was strong after all. Stock price soared up afterwards. So these kind of examples are things you see in the market all the time. It's not really something that you'll see covered in the media because it's not flashy. It's not spectacular, like three times growth or, you know, same source sales, you know, growing by double or triple or, you know, there's no hot new innovative product or service or anything like that. But there are these companies who are all the time really reliable and having some sort of adversity and really showing an opportunity because they're trading at at lower than what they're really worth. And if you can come in as a value investor, analyze the situation rationally and see that there's value in those positions and not only buying the pessimism, but holding through the pessimism and even holding through some additional adversity that might come up in the next three to six months, two years, however long it may be, you can really see some nice profits, not only in the short term, medium term, long term. I think it's it's a strategy that you continue to repeat it and over decades of time you'll find that it wins more than it loses. Yeah, you're right on about that and I, you know I think the illustration you gave about Corning was a great one and one that popped in my mind while we were talking thinking about this was uh Wells Fargo. Just recently the company went through a bit of a scandal and you know there was a lot of negativity about the company. And I know Andrew is not a big fan of investing in banks and, you know, but I am and, you know, it's because I work for banks and so I, I'm more comfortable with everything that goes on with it. And that's a whole other another conversation. But, you know, the company got beat up pretty bad and the price dropped to, you know, the mid thirties and, you know, I was able to, to buy some and now it's back up in the high fifties now. So it's gone up quite a bit and that was an opportunity where people were so negative and so pessimistic about the company. But when you looked at the underlying factors that were involved with the company, as far as, you know, their return on assets, their return on equity, you know, their same, you know, not the same source sales. I don't care about that, but you know, some of the other metrics that I look at when I'm looking at investing in banks were all great. And so just because there was a lot of pessimism and a lot of negativity in the news about the company, the underlying financials of the company hadn't changed. And so it was, to me, still a good investment. And I was able to, you know, make a good return on it. And so that, to me, is what, you know, is looking at going against the grain. Because if you looked at everything else that people were talking about, it was all negative. Pessimism, doom, 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 and gloom. So, you know, I agree with what Andrew was saying. Yeah. Uh, love that, how you have, like, a very recent example of that working for you. Mm-hmm. Last last principle, and we'll wrap up here. Just drop the ego. It's it's pretty simple. Like 
I think something that can really trip beginners up is you start to get analysis paralysis. Either it's too much information or you have this perfectionism where you, you just don't really want to make a mistake and you need to have everything all lined up before you really jump in. And I get that, you know, I've been there and I'm definitely that analytical type of person. So I can completely relate, but understand that, you know, you're, if you're listening, there's a 99.9% chance you're not Warren Buffett. If you are, call me, but (laughs) me too. (laughs) You know, nobody's watching. Nobody cares how your portfolio is doing. Nobody cares what stocks you're buying, you know, unless, unless you have followers or, or people who are really following what you're doing. You're, if you're an average investor and you're just going along and, and buying stocks and trying to learn as much as you can, trying to get some dividends, trying to get some compounding interest going your way, no one's really going to see you make a mistake. And there's no way you can go through life not making mistakes you know that you talk about that whole metaphor with the bubble wrap and the kids these days it's 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 benef- it's harmful to think to have a mindset where you're not going to make a mistake and to try to avoid mistakes at all costs and the only thing that this perfectionism kind of thing that's cycling through your brain is going to do for you is just prevent you from taking action so if you're having trouble with that i think the the number one thing is just drop the ego it's okay if, if you lose some money. It's okay if you make a mistake. Nobody's really judging you. Everybody's so focused on themselves that I think you'll find that taking these quote-unquote risks and, and putting your, your money out there and really buying stocks on your own conviction, it, it's going to be way more beneficial to you than if you're just going to self-criticize or criticize others or just beca- put yourself in the self-defeating loop where you think that there's just no possible way to win. Seriously, just do that and and you have the, the confidence and the faith to just take a leap of faith and, and you'll do fine. You know, this is not something that you learn overnight. If you're gonna follow the rest of these principles, build your power, do these type of things over time, you're gonna do fine and chances are you're gonna do better than fine. So keep stay humble, remember all of the principles don't be too emotional you know don't be too emotional don't get swept up with with everything that's going on and don't be and don't take away all your power do do those things and i think you'll really have nice results at the end of the day i agree and i I think the ego part of it is so important and i I think about the people that i admire and that i look up to you know they don't have ego you know you don't hear warren buffett out there you know, you know, standing on a mountaintop proclaiming how great an investor he is. He's, you know, he's a teacher. He loves to help people, and he loves to, you know, show people how he does what he does. Charlie Munger is the same way. Manish Prabhai is the same way. And you know, I think they come from a place of abundance. They don't come from a place of power and ego, and they don't, you know, they don't brag about how good they do. And it's just a of what they do and how they do what they do. You know, Andrew and I don't talk about how we do in our percentages. We don't care. It's not important. You know, what's important is whether we make good decisions and whether they perform well for us. And it's not about bragging 
and talking about, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I got a 75% return on this company and stock returns are, you know, 42%. Well, you know, good for you. Um, it's, you know, it's not about that. It's not about comparing ourselves to other people. It's a, it's a matter of us figuring out a way that we can be successful with what we're trying to do. And, you know, I, we, I, I come back to this all the time. You know, the margin of safety that Andrew and I talk about all the time and the emphasis that we place on the safety, that's because we're trying to take the ego out of what we're doing. If you have an ego, you don't need a margin of safety because you never make mistakes. And I'm here to tell you, you're going to make a mistake. I've made mistakes. Andrew's made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. And prayer is to learn from them and to dial back the tude, to speak, and think about, you know, the fact that I don't know everything. And that's why I try to invest with a margin of safety with the emphasis on a safety because I very well could have made a mistake. And so by me having realizing that I'm not perfect and I don't have an ego about this, that I want to make a, a right choice and a good choice, then I'm going to approach it with, you know, I could make a mistake. I'm, I don't know everything. And, you know, I have to build this in to make sure I don't make a mistake. And if I do make a mistake, I'm not going to, you know, get crushed. And so that I do what I do. And I, I, I would hazard to think that that's probably why Andrew does what he does. And why Warren Buffett does, and Seth Carmen and Joel Greenblatt. That's why all these people do that, is because they're trying to take the ego out of what they're doing. It's not about arrogance. It's not about being better than the people around you. It's about learning, and it's about making good decisions and doing what you need to do to be a good investor for you and for your family. It's not about beating your neighbor. It's not. A, it's not a competition. It's not. You know how far I hit this home run. That's what the home run derby is for. But winning baseball games working together so you know maybe that's an analogy but it's you know it, it really the ego really needs to stay out of this because the ego is what can really get you hurt for sure big time so that's my two cents on that yeah ego is the enemy right yeah very much so i know we uh <laughs> we don't agree a lot with jack bogle and you know the way he tries to push a lot of people to invest i think there's there's differences in theory and I, I respect Bogle and a lot of the people who follow his ways. I think a lot of people should go in that direction with the whole passive indexing. But I really liked how this was very recently I saw online. He he talks about like his own ego and basically says that, you know, the people who are making hundreds of millions or billions, they all laugh at him. But he says he doesn't care because he has enough money to have a comfortable life and be happy. I think that's so key is just like you said, Dave, like not getting into this whole comparison trap because no matter what, what you're going to try to compare yourself to with, with somebody else in life, there's always going to be somebody better. And it doesn't matter if you, you specialize in whatever you want to specialize. That's it. You're always going to be, there's always going to be someone better. And even if you're number one, at the moment, there's always going to be somebody who's going to pass you at some time. I mean, we just saw Jeff Bezos pass Bill Gates for number one richest billionaire in the world. So this ego type, want to compare yourself to other people, if that's where you're going to try to draw your happiness from, it's very fickle and it, it, it's just not going to last. So I think it's it's good from an emotional standpoint. 
it's good from a financial standpoint. Like you said, it, you know, it, it basically minimizes your losses because you are humbling yourself to understand and put systems in place to let chaos hit the market and your portfolio will still be fine. So it's, it's really a great strategy. It can really help you in a myriad of different ways. And I say do it. Dave says do it. So just do it. Yep, I agree. All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about the six unconventional investing principles. I thought it was fun. I thought I learned a little something interesting. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun for me. So I hope you guys enjoyed what we were talking about today. And if you're enjoying what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the show, good or bad. You know, we can always improve, and we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the show. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys have a great week, and we'll see you later. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.